It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode of Sandy Bailey's first half of her interview. I sure did. Here's the continuation of Sandy's story and how she and her friend Pam became the two busy bees. I think they stay busy because their customers are so happy with what they have to offer that the word of mouth advertising has exploded. Now, when you're making the quilt, do you have a favorite part of the process or do you like each step along the way? I guess I probably like every step. You know, I know a lot of people used to complain about making the quilt sandwich. That was really difficult and I didn't like it. I guess that was probably the least thing when I first started because I didn't have a place other than the floor to really spread things out because of the knee replacements. I cannot kneel. So my husband was really good. Bruce would be the one crawling all over the floor, you know, (laughs) straightening stuff out as I'm standing up spray basting, which I've always spray basted instead of pinned. But then I saw just a little video on YouTube and it showed how to roll the three parts of your quilt sandwich onto pool noodles. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that? I've seen it. That, I've never done it, but I've seen oh it. Oh my gosh. It was a life changer. Because then I could completely put even the biggest quilt sandwich together in about 30 minutes. Hmm. So that was good. But now that I have the long arm, I don't have to worry about doing that. (laughs) (laughs) That's another plus for the long arm. Yeah. I wouldn't say I designed a quilt, so to speak, as far as a pattern goes. I've kind of decided on maybe two or three different blocks that I liked and ended up putting them together. But to come up with something new and original, I don't think. I do that type of design. I just watched an interview with Tula Pink (laughs) yesterday. And it's like, oh, wow. People that really, one, can design fabric and come up with pattern layouts and stuff. I think they're just special. But I like the piecing. I like cutting out. In fact, sometimes I think I like cutting out too much because... I have more cut out than are made and I like quilting and until a graduation quilt that I just gifted yesterday have always done all of my binding by hand and that one because it was for a guy and going to college I stitched it on the machine and it's like oh wow <laughs> So, you know, I may do a lot of stuff, but I may be slow on catching on to some things, but I definitely think I will be doing that much more frequently 
and this antique quilt that I'm finishing hand binding because it was a hand pieced one, the top. And even though I long armed it, which is what one of my former principals wanted done, I am doing its binding by hand. But I have three more of her antique tops that her grandmother had made. She's wanting to give them to her children and nieces and nephews so that they all have one of their grandmothers and great grandmothers quilts. She said they just, you know, been living for decades in a closet in a box. And she said she decided it was time that they got out of there. The history of them was passed along. And she is not a quilter, so she didn't know any quilt pattern names. You know, I was talking about her Dresden plate and how gorgeous this was and everything. And that almost all the fabric in it is from feed sacks. They're originally from Illinois. She had no clue. She had no idea. So she's wanting me to kind of write up some information about each one to list out the, I guess, kind of their genealogy, you know, of who started it, who helped with it, who finished it and that kind of thing. So that for kids and the nieces and nephews would know the significance of the quilts, which I think is really cool that she's wanting that. So I've been kind of playing around with the best way to make the label with all of that information. And I think I'm going to end up doing it on the printer. It's too much to try to embroider out. And I would rather not handle all of that information that many times. Because I have four now and she has three more (laughs) she wants me to do. So it's kind of one of those I told somebody I went, I'm not sure how I ended up with the quilting business. I didn't advertise this. (laughs) 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 But I enjoy it. But now I have like, I think too much. And I had wrote you an email about Bruce's mother passing away and Mm -hmm. all that we're having to do because he's the only child. It's really cutting into the time that I would have been working on these. So now I'm just sort of feeling bogged down because I'm thinking of all these other things, but I can't be two places at once. And it's like, when are they going to get finished? You know? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's hard to figure that out sometimes when you have so much on your plate. Uh-huh. Well, I was keeping up at first. Yeah. And then somebody asked me if I could do a charity quilt for our quilt guild. It was small. I went, sure, you know, I'll do that. And then I had a quilt that I had finished for a customer. Well, actually, she brought me to, she brought me the wall hanging of a U.S. flag made out of the tumbler blocks. And then another, just a square kind of table topper thing. So I thought, oh, good. You know, this is great. You know, she was new. They just moved to this area. And I thought, well, you know, it'll be nice to have somebody else, you know, occasionally. And she came and picked up her flag and brought me a quilt. And then she came and picked up her table topper and brought me another quilt. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, (laughs) it's like they're multiplying, you know. (laughs) 
but it's all word of mouth. So yeah, if that's the case, you know, people are satisfied. Yeah. Which makes me feel good. But on the other hand, you know, I don't want to get to the point that I don't have a decent turnaround for yeah. them either. At least on these antique ones, they probably are the ones that have been around here the longest since the end of April, I guess. But they're just working with old ones is just they're kind of a breed of their own. And she wanted to know if I was done with any of them. And I said, well, technically, I'm done with this Dresden. I just finished up that binding when we first started talking. But then I happened to think I was going to soak it to whiten it. So that's going to be another two or three day process. Following Kelly Klein's directions on how to work with vintage quilts, you soak it in like retro clean. It just needs to soak in a bathtub. Then you have to gently roll it and try to get the water out. And then you lay it out in the grass. And between the grass and the chlorophyll and the sun, it takes out all the stains and leaves it nice and white like it was originally. Interesting. Mm-hmm. She's the one that got me into doing the pincushions and working with some of these antique pieces. Everybody leaves a little bit of themselves, and it's like, ooh, I have to follow that, too. Yeah. <laughs> Neat. Now for my fun question. Okay. Tell me about your worst quilting experience. Probably the worst thing that has ever happened on the long arm, I was doing a quilt for my college roommate from Indiana. She understood that I'm just learning and she was more than happy to get them quilted just to be quilted and I could practice. So I had two thirds of the quilt finished. And I happened to notice a tuck because I hadn't checked in the back as I was rolling it. And I started unrolling it (laughs) and unrolling it. And this little tiny thing that looked like just a tiny little dart got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I mean, it was, like I said, almost two thirds of the quilt. It's before I had gone with the rollers and leaders so that I know it's all pinned on flat. And I was just clamping it to the back rail and then rolling that and didn't realize it had gotten a pinch in there and it just kept expanding. So not knowing what else to do and and feeling embarrassed to send that, I ripped it all out and started (laughs) That's when I decided that I really did not enjoy ripping out anything that was stitched at 14 stitches per inch. So now I'm happy with 10 to 12. (laughs) (laughs) But that's probably the worst thing that was on actual quilt. And then This one that I just gifted yesterday is one that I have not worked with anything that was mostly on the bias. And this was strip sets. 
and it went from white and all the varying shades of prints and things to black. The pattern is called Mirror Mirror from Donna Jordan. It's one of her free patterns. But you cut triangles out of all of these strips and then put them together. And it was like, I should have invested in starch, probably cans of starch. And I'm just thinking, oh, I'm being very careful. Well, it was the wonkiest looking quilt. Any way you put it on the design wall or tried to hold it or do anything, it was not going to be flat. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, because I really went and bought all that fabric at a local quilt store to support them. And it was regular price and everything, no sale, because I wanted to do this pattern. I'd read through the pattern. I understood it and everything. But I guess not thinking, like I said, about the bias that it could end up as wonky as it was. And I wasn't sure how I was going to quilt it. Because even when I put it on the long arm, it was just dipping and bumping and shifting around. (laughs) So I did try to steam out as much fullnesses and areas that I could just with my steam iron as it was on the long arm. Then from Susan Smith, she had shown how to do, she calls it a topographic spiral so that it almost looks like a topographical map. It pulls in a lot of fullness because it's very irregular. You know, you're kind of in and out and doing a spiral. So I did that and it took all that fullness out. It lays perfectly flat and everything. I really like the pattern, but next time I will use starch. (laughs) 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 Just because the whole thing is made of triangles and two sides of it are on the bias. So that was a learning experience, but it was also kind of like the worst oh my gosh I've ever done piecing something that it's like I'm not sure what I'm going to do with this (laughs) I took it to our quilt guild and kind of held it up and I went well hopefully this will be gone by the time we meet again because of May graduation I was going to bring it just the top and show it to them and kind of explain how it was made and People just kind of chuckled when when I hope I can get this to quilt flat because they didn't think it would. Since I didn't finish it early, I did show it to them that, yes, by golly, it did go flat. So (laughs) (laughs) anyway, so that was almost an, oh, my gosh, what have I done? But it ended up being a learning experience as well as turning out okay. Yeah. Those times that your heart drops like, oh, no. Yeah, it's wonderful when it turns out good, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Why do you make quilts? What do you think has drawn you to making these quilts rather than spending your time to do something else? I think it takes care of my creative side as far as just actually making something from scratch 
And of all the quilts I have made, I've only kept two. I give them away. And I've actually never sold one of my big quilts. I've sold some little table runner things, that type. But I like to watch people's expressions when I give it to them because generally they're not expected. So I guess that's why. Yeah. <laughs> Those expressions are priceless. Mm-hmm. And even from some of my adult nieces and nephews, you know, that, well, yeah, they know Aunt Sandy sews. You know, it's kind of, oh, yeah, Aunt Sandy's sewing again or she's quilting. But to see their expressions when it's just kind of like, yeah, you know, but when they know I've made one for them specifically picks up their interests, either in the fabric that I chose or the pattern, it makes it worth it. Yeah. I have a little eight-year-old. Well, no, he's not eight yet. He will be eight in November. But they were here in January when we were actually doing Christmas with my niece and her husband. So my two little great nephews, and they had never been up in my sewing room. And Jake, who's the youngest one, said, Aunt Sandy, can I see where you sew? And I went, sure, you can do that. So he came upstairs. You know, he's looking around at everything. And so where do you keep your fabric? And I went, well, all the drawers are full of fat quarters because they're all folded on little four by five inch cards. And they're arranged by color. And they're labeled, you know, the good librarian that I am. And then all of my yardage, other than backing fabric, is on, like, magazine board. So they're like all these little mini bolts lined up in a cabinet on shelves. So anyway, you know, he was looking at all that and was just really fascinated. And all of a sudden, he looked at me and he went, would you make me a quilt? And I went, yeah, Jake, I'd make you a quilt. Can I pick my own pattern? I went, yes, you can. Well, what can I look at? So I pulled out some of my notebooks with my patterns in there. And he looked through those and he found one. Well, my sister-in-law had given me some fabric that she had gotten when Jake was born with stars and his name is in the stars from Spoonflower. And then there were some other scrappy things that were in there from a time my niece thought she would make an I spy quilt. Anyway, I said, yeah. And I said, well, we can use some of your Jake stars in it, too. So he found a pattern that he liked. And then he started picking out fat quarters that he thought he would like to use in it. And he decided that it needed to be stars since there were going to be stars with his name on it. The one he picked out, we kind of were talking like, we can put your star name fabric in the middle and then you can pick out these other things and we'll make the star points with that so it was like okay and so he started pulling then the more fabric he saw it was like I think we need to change our pattern <laughs> and I'm thinking oh great so he was afraid that all these pretty fabrics were not going to show in only points so he found a pattern that has 32 stars in it and he wants the centers to be all of these 
fabrics that he has picked out so that more of them would show and that I could use some of the Jake stars. I could use it twice, but there was some other white star fabric, just tone on tone, that I could use to make the star points. So it's now cut out. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't started sewing on it yet, but he's all excited because it's all cut out. So I'm hoping by November to have it finished for his eighth birthday. And then he wants me to teach him how to sew. Sounds like you have a future designer on your hands. I think so. Yeah. And he is like a seven-year-old going on 17. He's too advanced for, I think, probably going back into regular school since the school that they were in locked down and his parents were homeschooling, he and his brother. And it's like whatever their interest was, that's where they went. (laughs) Both of them are far beyond their years when it comes to the curriculum that they've been doing. But it's neat to see that he was interested in this whole process and what it took. And he was very conscious about his colors. And it's like, do you have any gold fabric? (laughs) You know, it's like. Whoa, you know, <laughs> I don't expect that from a seven or eight year old. And I said, yes, it's in the drawer that says yellow. I said the yellows and the golds are kind of all mixed together because he decided it needed some more gold in it. Then, oh, well, we need to add some red. That'll just be a pop, <laughs> according to him. So, yeah, he's going to be some sort of designer somewhere in his life, I feel. <laughs> but. That was kind of exciting to see him all light up, you know, with that. Because so many people just think, oh, well, only little girls. So, you know, (laughs) and it's like, oh, no, I think some of the best quilts I've seen designed and made have been by men. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what happens. And I've had the opportunity to interview several men. Oh, uh uh-huh. Yeah. Well, good. Well, there's a man in our quilt guild that makes postage stamp quilts oh my yes and they are amazing he and his wife both quilt they both have their own machines they both have their own long arms and they both have their own cutting tables they work in the same space but they don't bother each other's projects and he did one as a genealogy of their whole family where each generation had, and they were all in stars, which kind of caught my interest, but he had a picture and their name and dates in the center of the star and the star points all matched per generation. So you could follow the line through. I couldn't believe it. There's He's, some creativity out there, isn't there? Oh, Absolutely. More than we will ever know because there's no way for us to know it all. Mm -hmm. You talked about making quilts for your family Mm -hmm. and for customers. Is there anyone else you make quilts for? Friends, people I've taught with or people at church. I only have one brother. He has two children. Only his daughter has children. 
So, you know, I pretty much have them covered. And then Bruce has no other relatives or no other family members. And then we have one son and I've made quilts for he and his wife and her children. And so, yeah, now I'm giving them away to other people. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, I just got in touch with a friend of mine who was a former librarian also. Somebody had done a quilt using all the little scarves that you get at the groomers. Yeah. Anyway, they had this funny little cutout applique of a golden doodle or something and used all of the little bandanas on each of the dogs in every block. And I have a friend who just lost her golden retriever and little cookie was so good that she was one of the main dogs that they used at Greenville Tech in their grooming program because she would let anybody work on her. She just died several months ago. And so I just texted her. I went, do you have all of Cookie's little scarf or bandana things? And she went, yes, I do. And I said, just wondering, you know, (laughs) so... My mind's already working on how I can adapt that quilt into a little golden retriever. And I will get those from her and do something with them. Nice. The episode I put out this morning is with Deborah Berger, and she made one of those quilts. That's where I saw it then. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Because as soon as you said that name, I thought, oh, that sounds familiar. Yeah. I just saw that name today. Yeah. That's where I saw it. Yeah, Paula, you're right. Okay. I was picturing that quilt. So we both had the same quilt in our minds. Yes, we did. Yeah. You knew exactly what I was talking about. I did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Sandy, what are you working on right now? Well, I've had. A Texas blue bonnet quilt that Pam Baker made back in March when we had gone to a quilt retreat. It's been here to be quilted and it isn't. So I was really thinking about trying to get hers on there and finish it up. She had not stitched her backing together. So I need to do that. And then when we were unfolding it and checking, yardage and everything, we realized that there were some areas in it that didn't print or didn't pick up the color due to a fold in the fabric. So part of the quilt that she made has lots of flying geese in it. And I just told her, I said, I'll make you some flying geese with your extra fabric and I'll stitch them onto that before I put it on the long arm. So there'll just be a little added interest on the back, but it'll cover up all those white spots instead of blue. (laughs) (laughs) So that means I need to make the flying geese and then put the backing together and then stitch that onto the backing. And then I can put it on the long arm. But that's my next thing that I have jotted down as my to-do. But I think I can get all that done in one day. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. That's my plan. Let's put it that way. (laughs) It may change. Bruce may have other ideas, but (laughs) that's my plan. And once it's on the long arm, then I feel like it's half done. Yeah. 
share a quilting tip. Measure twice, cut once. (laughs) 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 That's probably the most fundamental one, but it can sneak up on you, you know, when you're doing a lot and you think, oh, yeah, you know, this is two by eight, this is two by eight, this is two by eight. And then all of a sudden you realize you have some two by seven. (laughs) (laughs) Probably the main thing is not to be too critical of yourself. I have a problem with that. And so I keep that in my head. It's like, I'm not perfect. It isn't going to be perfect. So I don't need to be disappointed if it isn't perfect. I think we just all tend to be our own worst critics because other people don't see it. Yeah. I'm especially that way with the long arming. If I realize, oh my gosh, I'm crossing lines and I really didn't intend to. But when you're quilting on it, you know, you're looking at a six inch square, for instance, and concentrating on doing whatever there. But when you get it all off of the machine and it's squared up and ready to be bound you don't see those little things anymore and I've gotten to the point that I do not point them out (laughs) (laughs) like I'm really sorry I went cross lines here you know (laughs) so I think that just maybe comes with more confidence that you think okay you know I'm really getting the idea of the pattern across it doesn't have to be no lines crossed. Kind of like they say, there's no quilt police. Yeah. I guess there's no one judging your long arm quilting unless you're in an exhibition or something where you've submitted it or someone else has submitted one you've done. I think most everything I do, I want to just be used. I don't want it to be an heirloom that you're afraid to do anything with. I want them used. Yeah. Can you describe how you went from having quilting as a hobby and it became a business? Well, the first one was probably someone asked me if I could make a quilt for their grandson's wedding. And that was probably six years ago. And at the time... I had made a couple of my own things, but I really wasn't working on anything in particular. And I thought, well, that sounds like a challenge, especially when I found out the dimensions she wanted it to be. I think it was one of the first pictures I may have sent you, sort of aqua and white with just a hint of pink in it. But it was a 16 patch in the center of a large star. So they were like 20 inch blocks Mm -hmm. each. Which I realized once I got ready to quilt it, that with the 16-inch throat, you can't do the whole thing. So I was thinking, how can I quilt this in a motif that it's not going to make any difference, that I'm not continuous, that I can work it in to get to those parts later. But anyway, I took the lady that had asked me. We went fabric shopping. and. She was astounded first when I told her how much it would cost total because I estimated how much fabric I was going to need and came up with a rough price on that and how many hours I thought it would take 
and an estimate of time and cost for that. And then my quilting, I do by square inch. So I knew the size that she wanted and I came up with that price. And then the miscellaneous things like batting and special thread that I was going to need to get for this particular one. I said, now, any of these things can change. One, I said, you won't have to pay all of this to me if you buy the fabric. Because I figured in a mileage cost because I was going to have to go to North Carolina to find what she was talking about. And she went, well, I'll go with you to North Carolina. And so we did. And she bought the fabric, but still was kind of amazed. And that's before the prices went up, that it was like 9 or $10 a yard. She would really have a fit now that it's 13 and 14 for a lot of them. But she went ahead and paid for that. And we were able to get a better price because I used my senior discount. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just got it all cut out and I just did it very methodically. I made all the 16 patches and then I started doing the flying geese that went around on the edges to make the star points, then put it together. And it got all done. I was able to get it quilted on my little five-foot frame. And she loved it. And she paid me, which was exciting because I'd never been paid for doing anything like that before. So that was the first one. And I thought, well, that'd be kind of fun, you know, because I got over a thousand dollars total when it was all finished. And I'm thinking, this could be really cool, you know. <laughs> it's like money coming in other than retirement. So anyway, I didn't do anything then for about a year. And then somebody asked me if I could make the Darth Vader quilt. And I said, yes, I could do that. That was somebody from church. And then just kind of word of mouth, but most of them were smaller things. So it wasn't too much, but it's when my friend Pam wanted to know if I would quilt some of hers. And then my friend Rita, my college roommate, said that I could practice long arming on theirs, which I didn't charge them much because I thought I'm practicing, you know, I'm charging you for the thread and for the batting and I didn't have to do any of the finish work. So we did that. And then they would show it after it's finished. And it was like, well, who long armed that for you? And it's like, well, you know, Sandy Bailey. And then other people said, well, I've made this top. Can you? <laughs> Can you go ahead and long arm this for me? And I went, well, yeah. So where I was doing something maybe every couple of months, now I'm constantly having quilts here to do next. Before even quilting for them was kind of a hobby because I was just learning new stuff and trying things out on them to see how it turned out. and. I figured when I have someone constantly bringing something, you know, that I finish something and they bring me another one, 
And I finish that and they bring me another one that all of a sudden, this is a business. Mm-hmm. And I've made brochures. I've handed them out at the farmer's market where Pam and I have our little business. But I don't think I've gotten any leads off of those. People have asked me things and stuff, but I haven't gotten any actual work from the little flyer about what do you do now that my quilt top's done. But all the rest of it has been strictly word of mouth. And I guess when my husband had his design business, he didn't advertise either. And he said that as far as he was concerned, the word of mouth advertising was the best kind because if they didn't like what you'd done, they wouldn't recommend you to someone else. Exactly. Yeah. So just sort of evolved without a plan. This is kind of something that's happened without a business plan, without a, you know. (laughs) Now I'm just at the point that I'm thinking, how much do I want to limit it? Even with all that I have here right now, I don't feel overwhelmed. I know I'll be able to get caught up in a couple of months with it. But it's just like, how busy do I want to be since I am retired? Yeah. So I'm thinking I'll probably work it down to where I have four or five people that I will regularly quilt for. And then I'll do some charity ones from the Quilt Guild and that sort of thing. Because I don't worry about them being elaborately done because they're being donated to a charity. So I guess that's kind of where I am right now. I'm thinking four or five people would be manageable and just keep something relatively steady, but leaving some time for me to sew because that's what I'm realizing I'm missing. Mm -hmm. I'm getting things cut out, but I don't have time to sew it. So that's when it's like, this is a job. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh gosh, you know, I'd really like to do something else, but I promised this. So I need to go out and quilt. All I have to say is I'm heading upstairs and Bruce knows what's going on, but it's working out fine. So I guess it's okay. He has not complained at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have two questions on the name of your business and how you came up with the name and how did you meet Pam Baker? So I don't know which one of those questions. Well, they uh, kind of go hand in hand. Okay. Pam... I met in 1985 when they moved to South Carolina. Her husband's originally from here, but they had been in Texas with his business for 10 years. And they came back to the Greenville area. Pam was a school librarian also. And so we met at a district media specialist meeting. The elementary schools were together and the middle schools were together. And we were both elementary at that time. It was just kind of one of those, we just kind of hit it off. I don't know. Sometimes you feel attracted to somebody. Well, I think I'd like to get to know them better kind of thing. Then both of our sons ended up in the same scout troop. And so between the two, because the scout meetings were usually a couple hours and Pam had to drive further 
than I did to get Josh to the scout meeting. So we started just hanging out together. We would go someplace else and leave the kids at the scout meeting and talking about primarily school and things to do with the kids and that type of thing. Well, she retired three years before I did, and she got totally into machine embroidery and doing freestanding lace creations and making everything. Every time I talk to her, it's like, well, I'm taking a class. (laughs) And it's like, oh man, you know, I'm doing fixed assets. You know, I'm counting all the computers and all the everything in the school, you know, and you're having fun. So I would give her a hard time about that. But then when I retired, we ended up getting contacted by people, either myself or her. Well, let's see, we were making napkins on our sergers for a restaurant that wanted cloth napkins and they wanted them out of certain color of chambray. So we were able to get the big rolls of fabric from another company here in town that would order it for the restaurant. And so we were making those, making 250 a napkin or something, you know, and it's kind of like, Pam, I kind of think what we're doing is doing like Penny's little hair barrette things that she was doing on Big Bang. I said, I think this is a little bit like a sweatshop. <laughs> <laughs> and then we were also making wrist wraps for a cross training studio that he wanted them made out of a certain type of fabric. And he had all the specifications that he wanted other than, I guess, what you could order online or someplace for cross fitness. So we did that too. And it's kind of like, well, it gave us some spending money and we just got to hang out and laugh and talk and have a good time. But we really weren't a business, so to speak. Nothing formal. You know, we just split everything. Then when we were approached about if I would like to participate in a farmer's market that was just being started in the area besides the green grocer and the meat products and stuff. They wanted to have some craft people there. And I said, well, you know, I've never done that, but we could probably figure something out. So I asked Pam if she would like to do it together. And then we started tossing around the name because we needed a name and we needed business cards and that kind of thing. So since I'm Bailey and she's Baker and we're always busy, we decided we would be the two busy B's with the letter B. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how that all came about. Then I designed a little business card and we went to Vistaprint and had them made. and (laughs) And now we've been doing the farmer market route for two years now. We're in our second year. So I specialize in the the sewing and the quilting and that. And she does all of the embroidery. And for farmer's market, it's smaller stuff. I take table runners and have sold several there. She does embroidered dish towels and like hop sacking and different kinds of things. 
I have sold, I don't know how many sets of bowl cozies. And I will do specialized ones if somebody wants a specific theme. So I've done lots of chickens and lots of freshwater fish. And then Clemson and the University of South Carolina ones. And I started making reversible aprons. And those tended to have themes besides just holidays. Because people were wanting USC or they were wanting Clemson. (laughs) So I was doing those. And then people wanting chickens. And after I did a couple of chicken ones, somebody went, well, I actually use this when I go out and collect eggs. So can you make the pockets bigger? So those have kind of evolved too. But it's just been just a fun thing. But this year we did every market that they did last year. And it was kind of hard to keep up with all the things that we needed to kind of resupply doing it once a month. So this year they decided to add two Fridays a month and Pam and I talked it over and realized that we were having trouble doing our other things like the quilting and her other embroidery work that she was doing for herself or gift kinds of things that if we were having trouble keeping up with once a month, we were really going to have trouble keeping up with twice a month. So we could pick and choose. And so we opted not to do both of them in the month. And we also decided that we were not doing June and July and August because even though it was in the evening, it was always in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And it was miserable and buggy. And so we did April and May. And then we're doing late August, September and October. So I'm working on things now already, you know, for Christmas and Thanksgiving and Halloween to have things ready. And one of the things that probably has sold easily as well, but more higher quantity, are pocket prayer quilts. I don't know if you've seen those anywhere, but I was selling those three for $5. They are about a two-inch square of a half-square triangle or some little pattern. Then you put your batting in it. You sew it together, turn it right side out, put a cross in it, and then quilt around the edges and then you pin a little prayer to the back of it that they can give to someone and you can mail them in with a card to someone for one stamp they will go through the mail people really really like those so that was a real hot item so anyway it's been fun also looking for just fun, unusual things to make. One of the things that Pam made, because everybody likes gnomes, she had gotten a pattern for making gnomes all in the embroidery hoop on her machine. And you make it, then you slide it over a cone of styrofoam. Then she adds the little details, like it might be holding a little lantern or a little charm kind of things. And then she puts her beards on. 
So those sold really well. And then the other thing, she makes freestanding three-dimensional cardinals that are Christmas ornaments that are just beautiful. And somebody came and wanted a dozen. That's kind of exciting when we think, oh, I'll sell one here or there. Then somebody actually wants like a whole set of them. We've had a few people like that. And then the end of May at the last market we did, I think I had sold a couple of sets of toasters and some people had picked out some little prayer quilts that they wanted. And I don't think Pam had sold anything. And we're thinking, well, this is a bust. You know, we didn't even cover our cost for being there. And the last 45 minutes, we had two groups of people come in and decide, we're doing our Christmas shopping here. And we literally all but sold out of everything. They took all of the bowl cozies that I had, even the odd ones, because I sell them in twos and fours. But if somebody wants just one, you know, I'll sell that too. So anyway, we had these little odd ones and the lady went, oh, I know somebody who'd like this one fish. And I know somebody who would like this one made out of musical fabric. And they did. Between what I had and what Pam had, we sold the most that day than we have ever. It's just sort of being at the right place at the right time with the right people. Mm -hmm. So that was real exciting that night. And then they were wanting to know when we'd be back so that they could be there to see what we had new. That's when the business card came in handy and we could write that we'll be back on August, whatever the date is going to be, I forget. But anyway, that's kind of how that all came about. How neat, especially when you thought, oh, this one didn't pan out. Yeah, it ended up being like the best. Mm -hmm. And we got to meet some really neat people. So that made it nice, too. That's another great part of that type of business. Yeah. And whether people buy anything or not, we just enjoy talking with them talking about their memories of their parents or their grandparents quilting or something, because we both use antique quilts on our tables to display everything else. So they usually have questions about those, or it just, like I said, brings up memories of other things they did, or they want to know if I actually have a quilting frame hanging from the ceiling. And I went, No, I said, all of mine on a machine. (laughs) I said, I don't do hand quilting, but it's just fun. Especially at a farmer's market, you meet all kinds of people from all walks of life. And having taught up in this area, it's been fun reconnecting with kids that I taught 25 years ago or something. And I'm finding out that they're married or they became a doctor and They still remember being a library assistant and that kind of thing. You know, that's fun. That's fun. About your two Bs. Now, did I see it correctly? It's T-O-O instead of T-W-O? Yes, it is. Like, we're too busy. Okay. Yeah. Because we're always doing lots of other things. Yeah. So that's right. We just thought that was... Just different than just the number two. 
Yeah. But that's what it started from was the number two. Yeah. And then Pam came up with a, why don't we do it with T-O-O? <laughs> I went, good plan. <laughs> that did catch my eye. So I did wonder why you chose the T-O-O instead of T-W-O. Right, right. And that all kind of came from my husband's design business when he was designing houses was B2 because it's Bruce Bailey. So it's like B squared uh, design was his company name. So anyway, it's like, oh, we could be two Bs or we could be B squared or we could be, you know. And so we were just kind of knocking things around one day and I went, well, we could use a B as a logo, you know, since they're busy. So that's kind of how it all came about. (laughs) (laughs) That's really neat. You told me a little bit ago that first quilt that you made, and it was so nice getting paid for that. Mm -hmm. Can you describe that feeling anymore? Well, you knew you were going to get paid for it. I did. I guess it was kind of the excitement of knowing that somebody thought well enough of my abilities to ask me to do it in the first place and then to actually be paid for something that I enjoy doing is kind of a wow moment and actually having check in hand, you know, it's like this is real. And you mentioned heading over to North Carolina. So I am curious, were you heading to Mary Joe's? I have been to Mary Joe's, but that's actually about two hours from us because it's more up towards Charlotte. Yeah. Because Traveler's Rest is the last town going out of South Carolina on Highway 25. So the middle school that I taught at our attendance area went clear to the state line and everything south of there. So getting to North Carolina, you know, I can be there in 20 minutes. Okay. But there is a town called Fletcher, which is north of Hendersonville, which is kind of the first major town you come to in North Carolina on I-26. And they have this huge warehouse type fabric store called Bowman Fabric and they have everything from formal sequin stuff for pageant gowns to car upholstery and the foam that you can put in seat cushions or car cushions or for couches and chairs and that type of upholstery. They also carry cowhides. If you want a full cowhide, you can get that there. So it's very diverse. But they have had, not so much right now, but they have had amazing prices. It is all quality designer fabric, most of it in the cotton quilting part. But you were able to get it maybe for six or seven dollars. Yeah. That's not so much the case now. 
if something's going for $13.99, $12.99 type thing at your local store, they might have it now for 10 So it's not as big of a savings, but it's nice that it's just all in one place. Mm-hmm. And they have it arranged. They have like the children's fabrics and by themes primarily. A lot of fabric lines, you know, that are all coordinated, which is kind of fun to do. But I also like to find a focus and then go find my own stuff to go with it. But it's big enough that they can do that. You know, they carry the whole line of all the Kona fabric and a wall full of batiks. Then they have, if you're looking for military or red, white, and blue, anything, you know, that would go with Quilts of Valor. They just have bolts and bolts and bolts. I mean, just shelves, shelves, shelves. It's almost overwhelming. If you go in without an idea, you want to buy everything because mm-hmm. everything is like, oh, my gosh, look at this one. <laughs> <laughs> but it's about an hour away, and it's worthwhile going there. They do have the 108-inch backing fabric and that type of thing in all different colors, but all different types of designs and patterns. And it's just a fabric store. It's not like going to Joann's or something, you know, where there's all the other crafts and artificial flowers and storage things and that sort of thing. So, and it's a fun day out. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you go up there, you have to have lunch out too. You know, there's some interesting places up there to go. So. A nice day trip. Yes. And they just finished the big. North South Carolina shop hop on Saturday, which I didn't participate in any of it this year. So I was kind of sad about that. But I figured there will be more times. But those kinds of things are always fun because you get to see all the store samples. And then you see that and it's like, oh, man, I'd really like to make that quilt. And, (laughs) you know, I have more quilt ideas in my head than that goes right along with all of the stash that I will never use in a lifetime or what's left of my lifetime. (laughs) But it's fun and it's pretty and you can take it out and pet it once in a while. Yeah. (laughs) All these ideas. Yes. Where can someone find you if they were interested in talking to you about doing one of their quilts? The easiest way would just be by email. Okay. Like my friend in Frankfurt, Indiana, we ship stuff back and forth all the time. And now she has me doing some of her sister's quilts and she lives in Virginia. So they can get shipped everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll have your email on your episode page. So if someone wants to look that up, they can see your quilts there and they can find your email there. Okay. Well, I really have enjoyed this, Paula, and I feel like I kind of know you a little bit, too. I really enjoy getting to meet everybody. Thank you so much, Sandy. I really appreciate spending this time with you. Yeah, I have, too. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. 
You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.